0: Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. There's something special about the Old West. Life in the Western United States for much of the 19th century was akin to living in another country, which makes sense as it was cobbled together from many diverse societies. Our next story takes place in the Great Southwest and involves a potential love triangle gone very wrong. I hope you enjoy Two Hearts That Beat as One by Frank Norris. Which I puts it up as how you ain't never heard about that time when Hardenberg and Stroker, the Englisher, had a friendly go with bare knuckles. Ten rounds it was. All along, oh, a female woman? It is a small world, and I had just found out that my friend Bunt McBride, horse-wrangler, miner, faro dealer and bone-gatherer, whose world was the plains and ranges of the great southwest, was known of the three black crows, Hardenberg, Stroker, and Ali Bazan, and had even four gathered with them on more than one of their ventures for Cyrus Ryder's exploitation agency, ventures that had nothing of the desert in them, but that involved the sea, and the schooner, and the taste of great-lunged cannerous trades. "'You ain't never crossed the trail of that mournful history?' "'I professed my ignorance and said, "'They fought?' "'Mr. Man,' returned Bunt soberly, "'as one approaching a subject not to be trifled with, "'they sure did. "'Friendly like, you know. "'Like as how two high-steppin', sassy gents "'figures out to settle any little strained relations. "'Friendly like, but considerable keen.' "'He took a pinch of tobacco from his pouch and a bit of paper "'and rolled a cigarette in the twinkling of an eye "'using only one hand in true Mexican style. "'Now,' he said, as he drew the first long puff "'to the very bottom of the leathern valves he calls his lungs, "'now I'm going to relate that same painful proceeding to you "'just so as you can get a line on the consuming and devouring foolishness "'of male humans when there's a woman in the wind.' "'Woman,' said Bunt, wagging his head thoughtfully at the water, "'woman is a weather-breeder, Mr. Dixon. "'These three things I'm scared of. "'The last two I don't rightly call to mind at this moment, "'but the first is woman. "'When I meets up with a female woman on my trail, "'I shears off some prompt, Mr. Dixon. "'I shears off.' "'And Hardenberg,' he added irrelevantly, "'would a took and married this woman, so he would.' "'Yes, and Stroker would, too.' "'Was there another man?' I asked. "'No,' said Bunt. Then he began to chuckle behind his mustaches. "'Yes, they was,' he smote a thigh. "'They sure was another man for fair. "'Well now, Mr. Man, let me tell you the whole how.' It began with me being took into a wild-eyed scheme that that maverick sky rider had cooked up for the three crows. Some gasabi named Palachi, Barreto Palachi, finding times dull and the boys some off their feed, ups and says to hisself, "'Exercise is what I needs. I will now take and overthrow the blame government.'" Well, this same Palachi rounds up a bunch of insurrectos and begins pestering and badgering and hectoring the government. And rearing round and bellerin' and making a procession of hisself till he sure pervades the landscape. And before you knows what, lo and behold, here's a real live revolution thing cautilizing in the scenery, and the government is plumb bothered. They rounds up the gasabe at last at a place on the coast... But he escapes as easy as how do you do? He can't, howsomever ever, get back to his insurrectos. The blame government being in possession of all the trails leading in the hinterlands, so says he, what for a game would it be for me to hike up to Frisco and get in touch with my financial backers and conspirate to smuggle down a load of arms? Which the same he does. And there's where the three crows and me begin to take a hand. Psy Ryder gives us the job of taking the schooner down to a certain point on the Gordomailer coast, and they're delivering to the agent of the gazabo 3,000 stand to 48 Winchesters. When we gets this far into the game, Ryder up and says, Boys, here's where I cashes it right in. You set rights to me for the schooner and the cargo, but you goes to Palachi's agent over across the bay for instructions and directions. But, says the Englisher stroker, this bettin' a blind play doesn't suit our hand. Why not, says he, make right up to Mr. Palachi himself? No, says Ryder, no, boys, ye can't. The signor is lying as low as a toad in a wheel track these days because of the prying and meddling disposition of the local authorities. No, he says, ye must have your palaver with the agent which she is a woman, and thereon I groans low and despairing. So soon as he mentions female, I know trouble was in the atmosphere, and right there is where I sure loses my presence of mind. What I should have done was to say, Mr. Ryder, Hardenberg, and gents all. You're good boys, and you drinks and deals fair, and I loves you all with a love that can never, never die for the terms of your natural lives, and may God have mercy on your souls, but I ain't keeping case in this ere game no longer. Woman and me is mules and music. We ain't never made to ride in the same go-kart. Goodbye. That all is what I should have said, but I didn't. I walked right plumb into the slough like the mudhead that I was and got mired for fair, just as I might a knowed I would. Well, Ryder gives us an address over across the bay, and we fair hikes over there all along as cruel a rain as ever killed crops. We find the place after a while, a lodging house all lorn and loony, set down all by itself in the middle of some real estate extension like a teepee in a barren a crazy modern house all gimcrack and woodwork and frosting, with never another place in so far as you could hear a coyote yelp. Well, we bucks right up and ask so the party at the door if the Senorita Esperanza Ulvari, that was who Ryder told us to ask for, might be concealed about the premises, and we show Cy Ryder's note. The party that opened the door was a greaser, the worst looking I ever clapped eyes on, looked like the kind what'd steal the coppers off his dead grandmother's eyes. Anyhow, he says to come in, gruff-like, and to wait poco tiempo. Well, we waited maucho tiempo, muy maucho, all a-settin' on the edge of the sofa with our hats on our knees like Philly loo birds on a rail, and a-countin' of the patterns of the wallpaper to pass the time along. And Hardenberg, who goes to do the talkin', Gets the fidgets by and by, and because he's only resting the toes of his feet on the floor, his knees begin jiggering. All along a watching him, my knees begin to go. And then strokers, and then alley-bazons. And there we sit in a row and jiggered and jiggered. Great snakes, it makes me sick to the stomach to think of the idjits we were. Then after a long time we hear a rustle of silk petticoats. "'and we all grabs hold to one another "'and looks scared-like out from under our eyebrows. "'And then, then, Mr. Man, "'they walks into that bunkhouse parlor "'the loveliest-looking young female woman "'that ever wore hair. "'She was lovelier than Mary Anderson. "'She was lovelier than Lotta. "'She was tall and black-haired "'and had an eye. "'Well, I don't know.' "'When she gave you the littlest flicker of that same eye, "'you felt as it was about time to take and lie right down and say, "'I would esteem it, ma'am, a sure smart favor "'if you was to take and wipe your boots on my waistcoat "'just so's you could hear my heart a-beatin'. "'That's the kind of female woman she was. "'Well, when Hardenberg had caught his second wind, "'we begins to talk business.' And you're to take a passenger back with you, says Esperanza after a while. What for a passenger might it be, says Hardenberg. She fished out her calling card at that and tore it in two and gave Hardenberg one half. It's the party, she says, that'll come aboard off San Diego on your way down and who will show up the other half of the card, the half I have here and the half which the same I'm going to mail to him and you be sure the halves fit before you let him come aboard. And when that party comes aboard, she says, he's to take over charge. Very good, says Hardenberg, mincing and silly like a chessy cat lapping cream. Very good, ma'am, your orders shall be obeyed. He sure said it just like that, as if he spoke out of a story book, and I kicked him under the table for it. "'Then we palavers a whole lot and settles the way the thing is to be run, "'and finally, when we would got as far as could be that day, "'the senorita stood up and says, "'Now, me good fellows, you must drink a drink with me.' "'She herds us all up into the dining room and fetches out, "'not whiskey, mind you, but a great fat green and gold bottle of champagne, "'and when Ali Bazan has fired it off, she fills our glasses.' Stinky little flat glasses that look like flower vases. She stands up there before us, fine and tall, all in black silk, and puts her glass up high and sings out, To the Revolution! And we all solemn-like says, To the Revolution! and crooks our elbows. When we all comes to, about half an hour later, we're in the street outside, having just said goodbye to the senorita. We all are some quiet the first block or so. And then Hardenberg says, stopping dead in his tracks, I pauses to remark that when a certain young female party having black hair and a killing eye gets good and ready to travel up the center aisle of the church, I know the gent to show her the way, which he is six foot one in his stocking feet, some freckled across the nose, and shoots with both hands. Which the same observation speaks up Stroker twirling his yellow lady killer, which the same observation, he says, has my hearty endorsement and cooperation, saving in the particular of the description of the gent. The gent is five foot eleven high, three feet thick, and is the only son of my mother and has yeller mustaches and a buck tooth. He don't qualify, puts in Hardenberg, First, because he's an Englisher, and second, because he's up again an American, and besides, he has a tooth that's bucked. Bucker no buck, flares out Stroker. What might be the meaning of that remark concerning being an Englisher? The fact that he is being English, says Hardenberg, is only half the whole handle, t'other to half being the fact that the first named Gent is all American. No yank ain't never took no dust from aft an englisher, whether it were war, walkin', matches, or women. But there's an englisher, sings out Stroker, not forty miles from here as can nick the nose of a freckled yank, if so be occasion require. Now ain't that plumb foolish-like, observed Bunt philosophically. Ain't it plumb foolish like of them two gasabes to go flying up in the air like two he-hens on a hot plate for nothing in the world but because a neat-looking female woman has looked upon em some soft? Well, naturally, we others, Allie Bazan and me, we throws into em pretty strong about being more kinds of blame fools than a pup with a bug. And they simmers down some but along the way I can see how they're a-glaring at each other and a-drawing theirselves up, proud-like and presumptuous, and I groans again, not loud, but deep, as the good book says. We has two or three more palavers with Senorita Esperanza and stacks the deck to beat the harbor police and the customs people and all and to nip down the coast with our contraband. And each time we chins with the Senorita "'there's them two locos steppin' and sidling around her, actin' that silly-like that me and Allie Bazan "'take and beats our heads against the wall "'so soon as we're alone, "'just because we're that pizzen-mortified. "'Finally comes the last talkity-talk, "'and we're to sail away next day "'and maybe snatch the little joker through "'or be took and hung by the Costa Gardas.' "'And goodbye,' says Hardenberg to Esperanza. "'in a faint die-away voice like a kitten with a cold. "'And ain't we gone to meet no more?' "'I sure hopes as much,' put in Stroker, "'smirkin' so you'd think he was a he-milliner sellin' a bonnet. "'I hope,' says he, "'our delightful acquaintanceship ain't a-goin' for to d- end abrupt this-a-way. "'Oh, you nice big Mr. Men,' pipes up the senorita in English, "'We will meet down there in gorda soon again, yes, "'because I go down by the vapor carriages tomorrow.' "'Unprotected, too,' says Hardenberg, wagging his fool head. "'And so young, holy Geronimo! "'I don't know what more fool drivelin' they had, "'but they finally comes away. Allie Bazan and me rounds em up and conducts em to the boat "'and puts em to bed like as if they were little.' or drunk, and the next day, or the next night, rather, about one o'clock, we slip the heel ropes and hobbles o' the schooner quiet as a mountain lion stalking a buck and catches the out tide through the gate of the bay. Lord, we was some keyed up, let me tell you, and Allie Bazan and Hardenburg was at the fore end of the boat with their guns ready in case of being asked impertinent questions by the patrol boats. Well, howsoever, we nips out with the little jokers, they was writ in the manifest as mining pumps, and start south. This ere Pissarin' down to Gorda Mailer is the first time I goes a galleon about on what the Three Crows calls blue water. And when that schooner hits the bar, I begin to remember that my stomach and inside arrangements ain't made of no chilled steel, nor yet a rawhide. First I gets plumb sad and shivery. And I feel as mean and poor as a prairie dog which has eat a horn-toed backwards. I goes to Ali Bazan and gives it out as how I'm going to die, and I puts it up that I'm sure sad and depressed like, and don't care much about life nohow, and that present surroundings lack that certain indescribable charm. I tell him that I knows the ship is going to sink before we get over the bar, waves. They was higher than the masts, and I've rowed some fairly lively sunfishers in my time, but I ain't never struck anything like the raring and bucking and high and lofty tumbling that that same boat went through those first few hours after we'd come out. But Allie Bazan tells me to go downstairs in the boat and lie up quiet, and by and by, I do feel better. By next day, I can sit up and take solid food again. And then's when I take special notice of the everlasting foolishness of Stroker and Hardenburg. You'd have thought each one of them two mush-heads was trying to act the part of an old cow which had her calf took. They goes a-moonin' about the boat that mournful it'd make you yell just out of sheer nervousness. First one and up would hold his head on his hand and lean on the fence-rail that ran around the boat and sigh till he'd raise his pants clean out of the top of his boots and then the other go off to another part of the boat, and he'd sigh and moon and take on fits a stricken a Coyote. But by and by, we're maybe two days to the good old Frisco. By and by, they two gets kind of sassy along each other, and then they has a heart-to-heart talk, and puts it up as to how either one of them would stand to win so only the t'other was out of the game. It's double or nothing says Hardenberg, who is something of a card shark, for either you or me, Stroke. And if you're agreeable, I'll play a round of jacks for the chance at the Senorita, the loser to pull out of the running for good. No, Stroker don't come in on no such game, he says. He wins her, he says, as a man, and not as no poker player. No, nor he won't throw no dice for the chance of winning Esperanza, nor he won't flip no coin, nor yet wrestle. But, he says all of a sudden, I'll tell you what I'll do. You're a big, thick, strapping hunk of two-fisted horse, Hardy, and I ain't no effete and degenerate one longer myself. Here's what I propose. That we all takes and lays out a sixteen-foot ring on the quarterdeck, and that the raw-boned yank and the stodgy Englisher strips to the waist and all friendly-like settles the question by Queensbury rules and may the best man win. Hardenberg looks him over. And what might be your weight, says he. I don't figure on hurtin' of you if so be you're below my class. I fight at a 170, says Stroker. And me, says Hardenberg, at 175. We're matched. Is it a go? Inquires Stroker. You bet your great-grandmammy's shale chessy cat it's a go, says Hardenberg prompt as a hop-frog catching flies. We don't lose no time trying to reason with them, for they is sure keen on having the go. So we lays out the ring by the rear end of the deck and runs the schooner in till we're lee of the land and she's riding steady on her pins. Then, oh, about four o'clock on a fine day, we lays the boat to, as they say, and folds up the sail, and having scattered resin in the ring, which it ain't no ring but a square of ropes on posts, we says all is ready. Allie Bazant, he's referee, and me, I'm the timekeeper, which has to ring the ship's bell every three minutes to let them know to quit and that the round is over. We gets them into the ring, each in his own corner, squatting on a bucket, the timekeeper being second to Hardenberg, and the referee being second to Stroker. And then, after they has shook hands, I climbs up on the chicken coop and hollers, Time! And they begins. Mr. Man, I've seen Tim Heenan at his best, and I've saw Sayers when he was a top-notcher, and likewise several other irregular boxing sharps that were sure tough tarriers. Also, I saw two short-horned bulls arguing about a question of leadership, but so help me, Bob, the fight I saw that day made the others look like a young lady's quadrille. Oh, I ain't going to tell all that mill in details, nor by rounds. Rounds. After the first five minutes, there wasn't no rounds. I rung the bell till it rung loose, and Allie Bazan yells, break away and time's up till he's black in the face, but you can no more separate them two than you could put the brakes on a blame earthquake. At about supper time, we pulled them apart. We could do it by then, they were both so gone, and jammed each one of them down in their corners. I rings my bell good and plenty, and Allie Bazan stands up on a bucket in the middle of the ring and says, I declare this air glove contest a draw. And a draw it sure was. They fit for two hours steady, and never a one got no better of the other. They'd give each other lick for lick as fast and steady as they could stand it. Wrestling, boring in, boxing, all was alike the one was just as good as t'other, and both willin to the very last. When Ally Bazan calls it a draw, they gets up and wobbles towards each other and shaking hands, and Hardenberg he says, Stroke, I thank you a whole lot for as neat a go as I ever mixed in. And Stroker answers up, Hardy, I love you better than ever. You's the first man I've met up with which I couldn't do for. And I've met up with some scraggy propositions in my time, too. Well, they, too, is a sorry-looking pair of birds by the time we run into San Diego Harbor the next night. They was fine-looking objects for fare, all bruises and bumps. You remember now that we was to take on a party at San Diego, who was to show t'other half of Esperanza's card, and thereafterward to boss the job. Well— we waits till nightfall and then slides in and lays off to a certain pile of stone and shows two green lights and one white every three and a half minutes for half an hour, this being a signal. They is a moon, and we can see pretty well. After we signaled about an hour, maybe, we gets the answer. A one-minute green flare, and there afterwards we makes out a rowboat putting out and coming towards us. There is two people in the boat. One is the gasabi at the oars, and the other is a party sitting in the hinter-end. Allie Bazan and me, and Stroker and Hardenberg, we're all leaning over the fence a watching, when all at once I have grown some sad, the party in the hinter-end of the boat being female. Ain't we never going to get shut of them, says I. But the words ain't no more off my teeth than Stroker pipes up. It's she, he says. "'Gaspin' as though shot hard. "'What?' cries Hardenberg, sort of mystified. "'Oh, I'm sure a-dreamin', he says, just that silly-like. "'And the mugs we've got,' says Stroker, "'and they both set to swearin' and cussin' to beat all I ever heard. "'I can't let her see me so bunged up,' says Hardenberg, doleful-like. "'Oh, whatever is to be done!' "'And I look like a real genuine blown-in-the-bottle pug,' whimpers Stroker. "'Never mind,' says he. "'We must face the music. "'We'll tell her that these are sure honorable scars got because we fit for her.' "'Well, the boat comes up, and the female party jumps out "'and comes up the let-down stairway onto the deck. "'Without saying a word, she hands Hardenberg the half of the card. He fishes out his half and matches the two by the light of a lantern. By this time, the rowboat has gone a little ways off, and then at last Hardenberg says, "'Welcome aboard, senorita,' and Stroker cuts in with, "'We thought it was to be a man that had joined us here to take command. "'But you,' he says, and old butter would have melted in his mouth, "'but you,' he says, "'is always our mistress.' "'Very right, bueno, me good fellows,' says the senorita. "'But don't you be afraid that there's no man is at the head of this business.' "'And with that the party chucks off hat and skirts, "'and I'll be Mexican if it want a man after all.' "'I'm Senor Baretto Polachi, gentlemen,' says he. "'The gringo police who for wanted to arrest me made the disguise necessary. "'Gentlemen, I regret to have been obliged to deceive such gallant compadres,' but war knows no law. Hardenberg and Stroker gives one look at the signor and another at their own spiled faces, then, Come back here with the boat, roars Hardenberg over the side, and with that, upon my word, you'd have thought they two both were moved with the same spring, Over they goes in the water and strikes out hands over hands for the boat as hard as ever they can lay to it. The boat meets them, Lord knows what the party at the oars thought, they climbs in, and at last I sees em a puttin' for shore, each having taken an oar from the boatman, and they sure was making that boat hum. We sails away eventually without em, and a year more afterward I crosses their trail again in Cy Ryder's office in Frisco. Did you ask them about it all? said I. Mr. Mann observed Bunt. I'm several kinds of fool. I know it. But sometimes I'm wise. I wishes for to live as long as I can, and die when I can't help it. I does not, neither there nor there afterward, ever make no joke, nor yet no illusion about or concerning the Senorita Esperanza Palacci in the hearing of Hardenberg and Stroker. I've seen, you remember, both those boys use their fists, and likewise Hardenberg, as he says himself, shoots with both hands." During his short life, Frank Norris had an outsized impact on American literature. A painter turned author, Norris traveled globally as a news correspondent while writing several short stories and novels. His finest work, The Octopus, was intended as the first book of a trilogy on which he was working when he died during appendicitis surgery at the age of 34. Thanks so much for listening to Lit Reading. If you get a chance, please tell your friends, your neighbors, your family. And if you're able, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. They help spread the word and they make me feel good. Thanks again for listening to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald.